Welcome back, fellow thermonuclear AFers. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with yet another NBA team look-ahead that we will pray does not get outdated like all the other ones as soon as we finish recording. I am super excited to be joined once again, frequent guest and now longtime friend of the podcast, Lazarus Jackson. Follow him on Twitter immediately and forever, at Laz Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. He is a co-host of the Detroit Bad Boys um, podcast, which is a fantastic podcast. Go check it out. He's also an editor for the Detroit Bad Boys website, and he's a participant in hashtag NBA Twitter and the Dean of Pistons Twitter. I hope that they pay you to be the Dean of Pistons Twitter. Laz, the most important question I will ask you this podcast, how the heck are you? Dan, I'm doing so well right now. Um, Media day was Monday. I'm very excited for the season to start. It's good to be here and talk with you. I feel like the seal the season isn't really around the corner until you hit me up on Twitter. It's like, hey, let's you want to talk about the Pistons for an hour? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. That sounds fun. Look, um, I love these chats, but I feel like when I start doing these previews, look look aheads, because they're not previews. Like these are mm-hmm. these are bougie and more in depth. They're look aheads. But that's when the season starts for me is when I have to start thinking about this. And I'm always thrilled when people agree to come back on, especially if it's more than twice. Cause like once or twice you'd be like, Oh, they don't really know what they're getting into. But like you, this is like your eighth appearance on this podcast. Cause we've done other stuff as well. So you yep. know what you're getting into. So I'm always humbled that you agree to come back. I do have another question. That's only semi pistons related. How is chance doing? Chance is doing great. We got him some uh, dueling like university of Michigan, Michigan state gear. Oh. And so now whoever whoever wins the game, uh, the football game later this year, gets to dress him up and do all the Instagram posts and everything. Uh, he can walk. That's the other that's the other big news. So last time we talked, he was just like a little, you know, like amoeba couldn't do anything. Now he can walk. And that means he can walk away. It means he can walk towards you. And that means in a second he'll be able to run. And that's kind of terrifying. But Chance is doing great. Thanks for asking. He already you before we started recording, you mentioned he has homies already. And so I was just like, I feel like he was like not even like he was just crawling last time we spoke. So he is growing up. How gutted will you be if you lose the Michigan versus Michigan State battle and have to watch oh, him wear the other's oh, garb the rest of the year? Devastated. Mm. Devastated. That is quite literally the only football game my wife cares about. And so to to lose that game is just like subject myself to 12 months of of shit talking. I hate it. <laughs> And that, when I ever hear people talk about college football, it makes me wish that I cared about college football, but I just didn't attend a college. Granted, I was at Penn State for a year, but I just, the college I transferred to, I never got into it. But the way people are so passionate about it, and even college basketball, I'm like, I wish I was into that, and I'm just not. College football is a really fun, uh, like, ceremonial thing, right? Like, you you love the pageantry, you go to a couple games, and uh, it just kind of sucks you in. But also, it's so funny that the characters kind of stay the same. You know, the the top five teams are the only teams with any shot at all to win. And everybody else just kind of floating. You just kind of see what happens. So you, you tune in and, uh, you know, some years Tennessee is good. And some years are, are some years Michigan State secondary can't cover anybody. And I'm frustrated. So actually, let's talk about the Pistons. Let me not get started on the Michigan State Spartans tangent. Yes, the Pistons, which is why we're here. I think so based off the reaction to the Bama by Donovich trade, um, nationally it seems like there was the sense of well what are the pistons doing and i've kind of just viewed everything they've done as like they're still rebuilding they're just trying to optimize like the youngsters around them and streamline their development is that the accurate theme of what happened this offseason or is there anything else that's sort of sticking with you about their direction as we enter this year 
I think for the most part, that's that's fairly accurate. I, like I mentioned, media day was yesterday. Troy Weaver like does not talk to the media very often, and so when he does talk, you more than Leon Rose though. Just FYI, <laughs> sorry, had to get that one in there. <laughs> but it's like, but when he does talk, right, you got to pay attention because he's only going to talk like twice a year. Um, and whenever he talks, he always like unveils like a piece of like uh, branding for the year, like what what the theme of the year is going to be. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was um, you know you use restoration. Uh, you can't restore something that like wasn't already great. Uh, a couple uh, year last year, it was uh, the clip is going to be empty. He's going to fire everything in an attempt to to make this team good. Uh, this year, it's ground zero. We're at okay. ground zero. So my, my interpretation of what ground zero meant is that uh, when he took over the team two years ago, they were underwater, and now they have Cade, and they're not. And so like that's <laughs> that's a pretty good thing. But it also means right like at ground zero, you still have up, you still have a place up to go. And I think they expect the bulk of their progression to come from internal development of the young guys. I think the the framework you like establish of like young guys plus like vets who complement their skill sets is accurate, but like you got to remember Troy Weaver is at heart a scout from like upstate New York who didn't is like his dad wasn't in the NBA, right? Like he didn't know anybody. He ground his way up he climbed up from the mud and he wants guys that are going to, you know, echo that sentiment. He wants guys who are going to, um, you know, work really hard themselves. And so uh, that's what I think the the Pistons are headed this season. Like they would, the expectations are a little weird. Like they'd be fine if they made the plan, but they're not like pushing really hard for it. And even in, in like public comments or in like the moves they've made, they don't seem like they think of themselves as a guaranteed like play in team but i also don't think they want to be one of the teams with the three worst records in the league like they were last year um at the top of the draft there is like scoot and victor like it would be cool to add one of those guys but i think that they think that they already have a guy the guy in Cade, and they want to start the the building around him process more than they feel like they need another the guy I will say if they did end up with Victor Wembanyama and Cade Cunningham on the same team, I'm just predicting a dynasty at that point. Like that's just that's that's where I'd be going if they ended up with him. I can't I can't let it enter my heart just yet. It's like I gotta <laughs> I gotta keep myself separate and and because uh, I think they're gonna end up with like the fifth or sixth pick, right? And and so like that that's where we're gonna go. Like we have no shot at Victor. Like it's it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. The Boyan Madonavich trade though. I loved it for the Pistons. I mean, the opportunity cost was fine. Like, you sort of clear up a little bit of congestion at center, and then I don't really know where Saban Lee factored in when you had Ivy and Killian Hayes and, and Cade Cunningham as well. Um, what did you think of the trade? And just about, one, Boyan's fit, but then also, two, how do you expect him to be used with this team? I love the trade. I love the fit. I loved his skill set. I love his contract. <laughs> so it's like, I, love, I love basically everything about this trade. Um, I think he fits in as a starter, as an immediate starter. It would be a little, like, I've been surprised at how many people uh, aren't necessarily assuming that he will be a day one starter. It's like, it, it's a little weird on, in my mind, just because he might be their second best player, like, right away. And so, like, why why wouldn't you start that guy? I know there's a desire to see the youth movement, but like, this guy's still pretty good. Um, in terms of, like, what he brings to the table, I expect him to con- just continue to space the floor. Um keep the offense moving with or without the ball. Uh, Bryce Simon, who does a lot of work for us at Detroit Bad Boys, and 
is a great follow on Twitter and does a lot of YouTube content. He broke down uh, what uh, Bojanovic brought to Utah last year. And there's a lot of stuff off screens. There's a lot of stuff off movement that the, an element that's really an element the Pistons like didn't have at all last year. And to add something like that, in addition to like a guy who will shoot, you know, high thirties, low forties percent from three is, is really useful. Um, I think he'll also be able to take like a little bit of playmaking ball handling duties off of Cade's plate, but that's not something I think that um, you, that's not like why you brought him in. Right. I think it's something he can do, but that's not um, what I think he'll be asked to do like all the time. Um, there's also the possibility like he gets flipped. At yeah. That would be my next question. Like there's, I would, I don't want to predict, but if they move him, I think they get a first round pick for him. I think that the Jazz were at a disadvantage because they were trying to, you know, there were only a few teams that had cap space. They were trying to shed salary as part of this trade. And at this time of year, teams aren't willing to like, not that they're not willing to make, if it's a star, sure, but like teams are trying to figure out what they have. And Boyan Bodanovich is very much a guy that maybe you acquire midstream when you understand like what's your proximity to contention? What does your roster actually need after undergoing changes? And so if the Pistons do move him, my bet would be, I'm not saying they'll get a lottery pick, but I, I, my bet would be they get a protected first-round pick for him. Yeah. I, I hope you're right, but it feels weird to transform like Mason Plumley into Kelly Olynyk into Boyan plus another like top 25 pick like that. That daisy chain feels a little weird, but you could I'd... justify it as it is the only Plumley left in the league, and so perhaps he's like that's hot commodity. So we follow that trade tree to a first-round pick. Makes sense. <laughs> it does. It does. Uh, but it, it's weird to me to expect to get like a top 25 pick for Boyan in the future when Utah wasn't able to extract a top 25 pick. And like, you're right, you know, midseason, my thinking was like, you know, somebody gets injured, some playoff team needs reinforcements. And so like they're and they think they're closer, uh, like they think they'd be closer with Boyan. And so they're more willing to part with something like a future asset. But for right now, like I think he probably just ends up a free agent at the end of the season with the Pistons. We say, you know, we shake his hand, say thank you for the memories, thank you for the forty percent from three and giving Kate a lot of space. It's like we appreciate it. Let's get the nineteen million dollars in cap space in here, please. What is what are you looking to see from Cade in year two? And I think a lot of people are going to be well. The efficiency needs to climb, which sure. And I guess if he has more space, I look. I'm fascinated to see how he develops as like a passer looking specifically at the turnovers but what's the biggest thing for you looking at year two Cade Cunningham the biggest thing for me is the three-point accuracy which is also kind of like another like big like duh moment like yes he needs to shoot better than 31 percent from three but once he starts being more proficient on like pull up or off the dribble threes that forces defenses to go over on screens which opens up like driving lanes and paint touches for him. And that opens up, uh, you know, help defenders coming at him to avoid like giving up shots at the rim. And that opens up playmaking avenues for him. And so like him being able to draw defenses in, like in that way is the route from which like the rest of his game should be able to grow. Um, I expect the efficiency to go up as he takes more free throws, not even like shoots better from free throw, right? Like he shot like 85% from the line. Like that's fine. But he only took like two and a half a game. And there were very clearly a lot of times last year where he was not getting to the line at a rate uh, commensurate with somebody who was a, like who had the ball as much as like he had the ball last year. He scored like against Denver. He had like 30 points and zero free throws. And he got like whacked like four times. 
And it's just like, I don't, it's like, it's just rookie stuff, right? Like you, you expect the trips to the line to go up. Um, I expect the turnovers to go down just as he gets more used to the speed of the game. He also, he came into media day reportedly looking stronger, reportedly gained weight, reportedly shoulders a little bit bigger. And Single you hope that body fat percentage, the whole nine, yeah. yeah, the whole nine yards, right? The full PR propaganda campaign. But there were times last year where he was like very clearly winded at the end of games. And there were also times last year where the lack of strength displayed itself in his handle. He would just like lose the ball and you would, it was like, that's weird, but it's also like two points going the other way and you got to fix that. And so I, I do hope that, you know, some of the physical strength, the, some of the physical changes he made this season uh, help in those departments. Um, and it also like helps him again, like draw free throws and everything. Um, the other thing is like, if he doesn't make that improvement from three, if he, if he doesn't shoot better than like 33, 34% from three, it really limits like the other things he'll be able to accomplish as a playmaker. Defenses will just be able to, you know, go under screens, wall up around the paint. Um, and he won't get to take advantage of one of his like better skills, which is his passing ability. Uh, and so he really needs to shoot better from three, but he needs to shoot better on self-created threes than he did last season. I when you watch him though. Last year, it was like, okay, if they had someone where he could either trade off ball handling responsibilities with or more critically, better space in the half court, I just expect that efficiency to climb just watching him. Like, I'm not, I don't want to be eye test guy here, but it's just like Cade Cunningham has it in every single way to me. Do you think they have surrounded him with enough complementary talent, whether you think that's secondary ball handling or shooting, for him to to at least optimize him or put him in the best situation to make the the improvements that you're talking about? Before the Boyan trade, I would have said like tenuously yes. Okay. Now with Boyan, like I can say like absolutely, like yes. They added two guys who shot in the 40% range from three last year in Burks and Boyan. You can like safely assume that like one of those guys will be on the court with Cade at all times. And then like yes, you are relying on a lot of internal improvement from three from guys like from guys like uh, Sadiq Bey, who shot worse from three than you imagine, and we're going to talk about that in the future. Um, from guys like Jaden Ivey, who is, I think, I think it's fair to call him an inconsistent but not bad shooter right now. Um, from guys like Killian Hayes, who I think it's fair to call a like a not great shooter at this time. Um, but so adding another guy who you can like you can play Burks and Boyan together, and then all of a sudden like there's no play, there's no safe place. Um, on either wing, on other wing, from for the defense to hide, and so like yes, with the boy on trade, I can safely say they added enough uh, three point spacing around Cade that I I feel comfortable about his improvement and development going into the season. Uh, you mentioned Jaden Ivy, who I won't pretend to know a ton about his game because I don't really get into rookies until they enter the league. But do you have any general impressions on his game and his fit next to Cade uh, early on? And two, how do we like? Do you have any expectation of how he's going to be used? Like, is this going to be the casiness of, oh, Jaden Ivey's going to have a very short leash, or is he going to have, like, the agency to make mistakes and play a bunch? To start, I think he gets the short leash. Casey talked a lot about how he gave Killian, like, too much leash to start and how he feels like that probably wasn't great for him. And so prior to the news we got about Alec Burks, he's still recovering from his injury. Um, I was ex- I was expecting that Jaden Ivey would come off the bench to start the season. Now that we know that Burks probably won't uh, be ready for the season, he like probably won't play much in training camp. He won't be ready at all at preseason. 
And so I think it's safe to say that like Jaden Ivey will be the starting shooting guard like by default because the other option is like starting Corey Joseph. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do that again. Like I, we, I, I got a lot more love in Kojo for Kojo in my heart than I used to. But like I, we, I saw enough of that last year. Like we don't need it. And like it's now just, the Kojo player option was one of my favorite things of the, does it the 2021 off season? I think it was, whatever it was. That was one of just my favorite, like, Oh, Kojo got a player option. I'm with it. They, they cut him. He had like $5 million worth of dead money on our books. They re-signed him and gave him a player option. Right. It's just Troy Weaver loves doing favors for dudes. And like that, that was a big favor for Kojo. Um, but back to Jaden Ivey, I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, yes. Yeah, aggregator alert. Aggregate this is, it. This is one of those things where it's like I am. I have the unpopular opinion on Pistons uh, in Pistons land. Like everybody wants to be really, really excited about the number five overall pick, the like flashy guy who like has a lot of highlights and does fun stuff. And he does have a lot of highlights and he does do fun stuff. And like he would be a really nice fit next to Cade. But the thing that I keep coming back to is that the partnership between them seems more beneficial for Jaden Ivey than it does for Cade. So that makes me that makes me dubious because it's supposed to be all about Cade, right? Mm-hmm. Like Ivy's a really good compliment to him, the the as like the fire and ice, right? Like Jaden wants to play fast, Cade likes to play at his own pace. We we saw in Las Vegas how transformational of the pace of the game like Jaden Ivy can play at. It was like in, in especially in the Portland game, that was the first game. In the first half, he kind of struggled. He was like looking to make reads in the half court. He threw the ball like right to a wing defender like one time in a turnover that like I just can't get out of my head. But in the second half, he was just like, screw it. Like, I'm just going to go barreling headfirst into the rim at every opportunity. And no one could stay in front of him. They started like setting picks from like 30 feet away like Giannis, like just to give him a runway. And it was working. And so I was like, if you can get away with doing that at the next level, like absolutely, you should do that. And it's fun to watch you do that. It's fun to just like watch you like blow past everybody with like your hundred uh, speed on NBA 2K. The thing is like Kate doesn't want to play that way, and if you have Jaden who wants to play that way and Kate who doesn't, and Kate is the guy, like again they're they're complementary. But my desire was to get someone who amplified Kate, the not complimenting him, right? The way Jaden Ivey makes Cade's life easier is by taking the ball out of his hands to play at a tempo that Cade can play at. But I want Cade playing at the the tempo he's comfortable with, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I want him playing in the way that, like, he feels most comfortable playing. I think Jaden Ivey is, like, a really, really good player. Um, I always get accused of, like, hating Jaden Ivey. I've gotten into, like, with a lot of people on social media about, like, how much I hate Jaden Ivey. And I don't hate Jaden Ivey. I think he's a really, really good player. But... When you look at like the comparisons people made to the type of player they expected him to be, right? It was your Donovan Mitchells, your Russell Westbrooks, your Victor Oladipo's. Like those guys did their their damage alongside like the Ricky Rubios and Andre Robersons of the league. And like Cade is not Ricky Rubio, right? Like we mm-hmm. like we should not limit Cade to being Ricky Rubio like in that way. And like that's not that's not prescriptive, right? It's not set in stone. There are ways you can do you can work around this. Um, Jaden Ivey could be a better on-ball and off-ball defender than he was in college, and that would be like one way to make this the pairing work a little bit better. He can be a more consistent off-ball shooter. He made shots in summer league, but uh, like when he threw it up, I did not know if it was going in or not. And uh, I think that that is 
I think teams are going to force him to shoot and uh, try and like wall him out of the paint because they know he can get to the paint, but if they're going to make him a shooter. Uh, so like he, he has to make more shots like that going forward. And then um, you can, you can stagger them, right? Like that's the other obvious thing is just like always have one of them on the floor. And like when, when the guy is, when each guy is on the floor by themselves, they can play at whatever pace they feel most comfortable at. And that that's tough for the defense to adjust to. And I understand and like respect that. And like Jaden Ivey also needs to get better between the arc and the paint. Like he has no mid-range game to speak of. And like that is where the bulk of his uh, decision-making like really turns into a big question mark. He's so used to being able to go from zero to like 80 that uh, when he has to go from like zero to like 55 and make a decision, still kind of doesn't know really what to do with the ball. And that's, that's troubling for me. I don't love that. Um, but like, if he does all these things too, like you're kind of taking away from makes him special, right? Like if you, if you take the ball out of his hands, he's like not Donovan Mitchell anymore. And so then you feel like you're not really hitting the most, uh, you're not getting the most out of like what Jaden Ivey could be. Right. Um, it was like, I would, I would love to be wrong about this, but as like, I, I fear I'm right. Um, but like, I, I would just love to like fast forward 22 months and like where the pairing didn't quite work out and they turned Jaden Ivey into RJ Barrett. Oh God. Um, <laughs> the, I would, I would love to turn, uh, not CAA client RJ Barrett into CAA client Jaden Ivey. How does that sound? From a you pro- well, uh, I'm not. I'm like terrible at covering the NBA now because I need to care more about who's rep by who and I don't. But if Jay Ivey is indeed rep by CAA, you'll get more than RJ Barrett for him then. So um, <laughs> that, there's some good news. You have, you thought way more about it than I have. You know way more about Jay Ivey's game than I do. But that was my overarching concern is that it feels like if this pairing was going to work, it takes more adaptation on Cade's part than Jay Ivey's part. Largely because to me, I don't know what Jaden Ivey is if you take the ball out of his hands right now. And I, if anything begins with, I understand that, you know, the dichotomy can be good. And as you mentioned, you stagger and I'm never, if you have two, I'm never going to say teams have too much creation on their team, but like, if anything begins with, well, if Cade just needs to play off the ball more, I'm out. Like, I'm just like taking the ball out of Cade Cunningham's hands is just not the answer to me. It's like the Russell Westbrook, LeBron James stuff. Oh, this is going to work. Because when LeBron doesn't play or you can move LeBron off the ball and I'm like, if any solution begins with, well, don't put the ball in LeBron's hands or look how good we'll be without LeBron. I don't really want to hear it. And this is on a different level. Jay Nivey's so, so young. Um, and he's already probably better off ball shooter than Russell Westbrook. But like, I don't, do you have any sense of what he could be off the ball? And I will say, I know you mentioned you're concerned about his decision-making when he can get sort of going downhill. When he got the early comps to John Morant, I think those were way off base. I will say some of like the passes and decisions he has made after leaving his feet were like I didn't recognize they were happening. I see the vision there, but again, I don't that doesn't really impact like or optimize his fit alongside Kate at all. No, I, I get you. And it's like, all right, it's like not even like Russell Westbrook. That's a very loaded topic. And like Kate's not LeBron either. Like maybe I would love for that to happen, but that's probably not gonna happen. So we'll just put that aside for a second. Let's talk about like Luca. Right. Like Luca, I think is a Luca is also like way better than Cade. It was at this point in his career. 
but I think that's like a more achievable uh, outcome in terms of it's like that's in terms of degrees, right? Like from Luca to LeBron, but like also like let's just keep it going. Jalen Brunson was like a really good partner with Luka Doncic like last season, and a lot of it was because like Jalen Brunson could do weird stuff like post up and like make off the make off the catch threes, right? I don't see how. It's like I hope Jaden Ivey is able to like reach that level as a catch and shoot player, but like I don't think that's going to be the way it goes like right out of the gate. Um, Brunson was undersized as a defender, but competitive in a way that um, I think you hope Jaden Ivey emulates. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jaden is more of the guy who uh, a lot of Jalen's like defensive Jaden's Im- defensive impact came from like him operating as like a help side guy threatening passing lanes with his insane athleticism rather than like as an on-ball decision maker guy right i was like i i hope this works but like i i don't want to i I like i want Cade to be the guy and if jaden ivy is also like a guy it's like i feel like you're not getting the most out of jaden ivy in that scenario this is this is like this is a very tenuous spot of contention right because like everybody wants to love jaden ivy I also want to love Jaden Ivey, but like I also am trying to be realistic. Like, if the Pistons are going to go anywhere, it's going to because it's going to be because they were driven there by Cade. And so, like, you got to make Cade's life easier. And taking the ball out of his hands, like, is not necessarily like easier, right? So, for the aggregators, you can title Pistons Insider thinks Pistons need to trade Jaden Ivey for, for Ar- 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 yeah, Ar- basically. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome. Uh- <laughs> So the Pistons have been pretty adamant that Isaiah Stewart's going to play alongside another big at media day. I saw he was talking about how he watched a lot of Al Horford this summer, which at one point makes me really excited and then a little bit terrified. Like, is that like a realistic player for him to emulate his game after? Uh, What do you make of that? Do you think that they're really going to give him more of a license to chuck threes this year? Who's the front court partner you most want to see him alongside? I'm just... I'm, I guess I'm like morbidly fascinated by the whole like Isaiah Stewart plan in Detroit. So it's it's really funny too, because like, if you just like glance, you're like, oh yeah. Like if he learns to shoot, like he could totally be Al Horford undersized, like center power forward guy. And then you like think about how high Al Horford's like basketball IQ is and how that plays in like how he operates offensively and defensively. And I love Stu. But, like, he hasn't always, like, shown that level of uh, basketball feel. And so, like, comparing him to Al Horford is, like, a a little bit much, probably. But he's 100% going to take more threes this year, right? Like, they they really focused and emphasized that in Summer League. He shot, I think, five of nine from three in two games. Um, And so it was was great to see. He's massive sample size, by the way. He's been able to – he's – Anytime he got the green light to take threes, like there during his rookie year, during like the last 10 games, they were like, sure, man, go crazy. And he didn't look, he didn't look uh, horribly uncomfortable taking them, right? They didn't go in all the time, but he didn't look uncomfortable doing it. There was like a 10 game stretch in before the end of the season, but like kind of in the dog days last season where they were also like, hey, yes, dude, like go, go take some threes, man, go for it. And like, he also, again, like looked semi-comfortable and competent, like doing that Um, in, in college, he was really good uh, from the mid range as like an 18 and N guy on pick and pops. And like the footwork is largely the same. And so I was just like, yeah, just do that. The thing I worry about is that like for now, 
all of his threes are uh, what Ty Lu would define as butt naked open threes because everybody's <laughs> like, sure, yeah, man. Like it's like you're six eight, and we don't know if you can shoot or not because you've taken you know fewer than a hundred NBA uh, threes in the NBA. Like go ahead, like take them. It's like what will he start doing when teams are like, oh, like we're actually going to try and contest this three, right? Like is he going to be able to attack closeouts? Like uh, maybe, maybe I hope so, but maybe. It's like if you play him on the floor with another big, um, like Danny LaRue always talks about like two dribbles and a good decision, right? It's like, is he gonna like be able to do like the Al Horford thing where he like he takes two dribbles and like whips it to the corner? Like, uh maybe you're gonna be able to play like high low with him with him and uh inserts other center here. I think uh in time they would like it to be Jalen Dern. It's like I would also like like to see that pairing just to discover if it could work or not, but like that's going to require a lot more processing power on offense than we've ever been able to see from Isaiah Stewart. So I th- they'll, they'll definitely try it. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but at the absolute least, he's going to shoot like more threes than he's ever shot in his NBA career this season. And it's like at worst, you know, it doesn't work. And he's a perfect 16 game backup center. Where you can just like switch everything and downsize and you don't lose anything on the glass and he's able to like stretch people out. You can play five out with him, and uh, like he'll he'll be effective in a way that I think uh, would make him valuable for a playoff setting. So it's just like yeah, it's like even even if this doesn't work, he's still fine. So it's like I get you know the experimentation during the season. It's kind of pretty pivotal though that he does develop a three point shot or at least have the volume to like make teams make different decisions on defense because when you look at the other bigs that he's going to be playing with in the front court. Like you're not getting that from Duran. You're not getting that from Noel. You're probably not getting that from Marvin Bagley. It was more of a floor game, but he's not spacing the floor in the conventional sense. Oh no. Oh no, Dan, you missed, uh, you missed earlier. Coach Casey is saying, and they're like, no, Stu and Bagley, those are going to be our stretch bigs this season. I just uh, put my hands in my head on that one. If this was towards the end of Marvin Bagley's rookie season, I'd probably be buying into that stock. But since we're, you know, another three and a half years down the line, I mean, look, he had a good close, very good close to the year with Detroit. So I don't, I don't want to belittle what he did. I will say not involve shooting threes. (laughs) No, it did not. So that is the other thing to consider. Uh, I love Stu though, just defensively for this team, because he is like a very, just like shot changer. He's one of the guys where some of my favorite stats aside are like, when you have a player where opposing teams are taking a lot less shots at the rim and then shooting worse on those looks when the players on the court, he is one of those players. And then if you go back and watch like defense or offenses, excuse me, seem to feel him or like second guess because he's around his activity. And so I think he's super important, but you look at the other bigs around him. It's like, if he doesn't develop into at least like someone who's shooting real volume and getting up to 33% or whatever on threes, there's probably a lot of questions in how they're going to build out their front court rotation. Yeah. And tactically, right. Like they were, they were leveraging his ability to switch a lot last season after playing him and drop a lot, his rookie season. And he proved himself like able to defend switches like pretty well. There was a, there's, it was really noticeable. There was a game against Dallas where he like hung with Luca on a couple of switches in a row. Everybody's like, Oh, like that. Mm, That's pretty interesting. Um, But if he's going to be like an NBA four, is like okay well is he going to be able to impact the defensive glass from the from the what's essentially like a wing position now and uh it's like is he going to be able to uh like attack a closeout defensively and like chop his feet and like get back uh will 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 teams still be able to feel him feel him 
if he's out on the perimeter all the time playing next to another big who's presumably like parked in the paint. So it's, it's you don't I, trust Marvin Bagley to get out there and so one of that. No, when uh, it's like I had this number burned in my head because like it was so bad when Bagley and Stewart were on the floor together. I think their defensive rating was like 118 which is bad that's very very bad and we know stewart is a good defender so we know who we can attribute that to but at the same time it's like he like he was on the floor and that happened so it was like he's got to take some of the blame for that but yeah i i hope to put Stu in positions where he feels comfortable so that he can be successful as opposed to just like trying to fit him as a square peg in a round hole because you're only other like four option is like Bojanovic, right? Who you just acquired, right? Uh, to your point, I looked at this up because that was exceedingly high, but 121.2 defensive rating with beef stew and Bagley on the floor per cleaning the glass. So no, there's no garbage time in there. So 118, maybe by NBA.com. Uh, that is high. That is very high. Also, probably not that surprising when you really think about it. Don't get me started on Marvin Bagley. I am a blank slate. When it comes to Jalen Duran. So what are your, or I know like the, I know the skeleton of his game, but like, what are your early impressions of what he does for this team? And do you have any overarching concerns about how he fits in? Okay. So Jalen Duran's obviously like the other rookie. I gave the big speech about Jaden Ivey, about how he doesn't, how he compliments Cade and he doesn't amplify Cade. Like, no theoretical Jaden Duran, he amplifies Cade, right? Like that's a two man game uh, that we have like classically seen have success in the NBA level. Jalen Duran in an action with Cade, just like running down the lane, threatening and tear the rim off the backboard. Like that is the thing defenses care about in a way that like they don't care about for Isaiah Stewart. Um, I love me some Jalen Duran. I'm way more excited about Jalen Duran than Jaden Ivey. Um, concerns. He's 18 and he's got the usual concerns for an 18 year old, you know, st- the little stuff like doesn't know how to play NBA defense yet. It's like, doesn't do little things like boxing out because he's so used to just using his insane athleticism against high school kids to grab every rebound. So he's not technically proficient, right? Um, is, is Will his athleticism look as insane as it did in like the Atlantic Conference next to other NBA players? Like probably not, but like he's still very clearly an upper tier NBA athlete. Um, and it's like, he's also 18, so he'll probably foul everything in sight for the first 18 months of his career. And it was just like, okay, like that's the, the usual stuff, right? Like what you have with an 18 year old big man. Um, the other thing that makes people fearful is that in recent memory, the Pistons have turned a very young, very athletic, very promising big man into a really big disappointment. And Jalen Duran did come in and choose that uh, big man's number, which <laughs> made my stomach like turn a little bit. The first time I saw that, I wanted to like throw my body in front of that one. Like you, you can't give him Andre's old number. But the thing that makes me feel a lot better about this is that like Jalen Duran has Kate Cunningham and Andre Drummond never had Kate Cunningham, right? And so like the the hierarchy coming in is already very clearly established, like whose team it is. Um, with Andre, it was always a weird question because he was the most talented player, but probably not a guy who like you should have had be your quote unquote best player. Who do you want to see him play with most in the front court? And also, how much do you expect him to play early on for this team? I expect him to not play at all until like December, January. Um, oh, even with like the Noel injury and stuff, you don't think that, yeah. that opens up? Wow. Yeah. I, I think 
I I think they'll leverage some smaller lineups. Uh, we're going to talk about like Isaiah Livers in a second. Um, they they got away with like playing Livers at the four off in bench lineups last year. Um, I think that uh, I think he won't play that much just because like again, the the first time he sees run and he has two fouls in thirty seconds and Dwayne's just going to be like, all right, like I can't play this kid at all until he like learns. Um, and he won't learn until like he practices for a good you know, six to eight weeks at the NBA level. So uh, I think, but as the season goes on, right, like as we get to the end of the year where the the games only matter for draft position, like you will absolutely see a lot of Jalen Duran, and you'll see, I think you'll see him in a, a variety of different ways. I think he'll always be like the nominal center, but you will see him like next to Stewart. You'll see him next to Bagley. You'll see him next to Libbers um, at the four. You'll see him next to like Boyan at the four or Sadiq at the four. Um, but at the same time, like, uh, he's, he's got a ways to go, but what he is right now is so tantalizing that you'd like have to let him play it out. Moving right along. If this became a topic of conversation, this podcast towards the end of last year of what was the better long-term weapon for the Pistons, Killian Hayes is like in between efficiency and finishing at the rim towards the end of last year, or Sadiq Bay's like turnaround jumper explorations that were going down at one point. For Killian Hayes specifically, where are you at with his trajectory now, especially based off his comments at Media Day, which make it seem like he has higher aspirations than the Pistons do for him? And is his, I mean, I think the answer is yes, but like, does the arrival of Jaden Ivey sort of complicate like where they go with Killian Hayes at all? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I still believe in Killian as an NBA player and as a like contributing factor to the Pistons, like when they're going to be good but he also has to play better, right? Like he has to play with more aggression. He has to play with more assertiveness. And he also like has to do the thing where like the ball goes through the rim more often. Like that, that would probably be good. Um, he said all the right things in media day. He said the word aggression like twice in, in like five minutes, which is more than, than usual for him. He talked about revamping his jumper, uh, work, working with like multiple shooting coaches. Um, and so we're, we're going to see. I, I am glad that Killian has higher aspirations for himself than just like third guard, sixth man, which is what you can like very easily like pencil his role into this team with. Um, But at the same time, like he has to prove it. Like, does he have the drive and ability to supplant Jaden Ivey as like the penciled in starter? Um, Does he have it in him to coerce Casey to play well enough? Or does he have it in him to play well enough to coerce Casey into playing like all three of those guys at the same time? which is something that like you you don't have to push Dwayne Casey hard to put multiple point guards on the floor at the same time but like if uh but like Killian has to play well in order to make that happen it's it's really interesting to me how often everyone like on and around the team is like oh yeah Killian's clearly the best passer on the team aka like he's better than Cade at passing but in today's NBA you you shoot to set up the pass you don't pass to set up the shot and Killian like doesn't shoot enough. He just like hasn't been aggressive enough. And so he hasn't the his ability to play make despite like the other nine guys on the floor knowing that like he wants what he wants to do is pass the ball is impressive if it wasn't like already like making life so difficult for him. Um so he just needs to he needs to look to score more. He needs to keep driving to the rim. He needs to attack the rim with uh a little more diversity, right? He's got like He's got like two moves. He's got like an off foot, goofy left hand scoop finish. And he's got like a, a lefty like floater. It's like he needs to be able to snake to go back right to go left. He has a really nice like right to left crossover if he gets you like going right. 
but uh, everyone sits on his left hand. So, you know, you see fewer and fewer people fall for it. So he needs a better like bag around the rim. Uh, I would be, I'd be hopeful that uh, he, he can like incorporate some speed finishes and some offhand stuff uh, this season. Um, and he also just needs to shoot better. If he shoots better from the perimeter, like his defense will enable him to play as a compliment next to Cade. And like, then you're fine. Right. Uh, for what it's worth, chart topping podcaster and popular NBA analyst, Nikias Duncan, who I knew before he got big shout out to Nikias. He agrees with me on, on Killian's potential fit next to Cade. And he's a smart dude. So I, I feel like a smart dude when I agree with him. And so does this mean, I think Nikias was on the, who definitely will not be listening to this. So he won't do that. <laughs> shout out, but uh, <laughs> Well, are you like higher? I don't know. Kai's like wanted Killian Hayes to start for Detroit. Is that where you are? And are you kind of, it sounds like you might be higher or less concerned about his fit moving forward with Cade than Jane Ivy. Exactly. Right. I think, I think the, the fit for Killian and Cade is a lot cleaner simply because like Killian does a lot of the same things that Cade does, but is also like able to take on defensive matchups in a way that like, I don't trust Jaden Ivy to right now. Um, and like, if they prove themselves to be like roughly equivalent as shooters, which is not the case right now, Jaden Ivy is probably a better shooter than what we've seen from Killian Hayes so far. Um, it's like makes him a better, again, like amplifier of what Cade wants to do. But until like until we see it happen, like we don't know for certain. This is all theoretical. Um, but I you know, like he's 21. It's way too early for me to write off his ability to be a, you know, to be a starting level guard, to be a contributor to this team, like when they want to be good. I think about like like you you had uh oh I forget his name, but the Orlando Sentinel guy on to Kobe talk Price. about Kobe Price. Okay. To talk about the magic. And you talked about Jalen Suggs' struggle, right? Like he he broke his thumb. He had like an ankle thing. He shot terribly. But everyone's still kind of like positive about his ability to turn things around because of like what they've seen from him. It's like you go look at Suggs's and Killian's numbers and they're not that different. Um, and Killian was also dealing with a strong hand uh, thumb injury like throughout the season. Um, and so I was like, if you if you think Jalen Suggs can turn it around, there's no real reason to think Killian Hayes like can't turn it around as well. Uh, look, and he convinced me closing the season too. Like he shot 46 plus percent on his floaters after the all-star break. He was like on just driving sort of layups or finishes like his efficiency skyrocketed there. So uh, I'm optimistic with him as well. I am just, I guess I'm surprised that you and then also Nakaias like as high on his fit next to Cade as, uh, as you are. But this is also, like I said, I'm like you uh, and have not dug as deeply into it, obviously, but like concerned about Jaden Ivey's fit next to Caden. So Killian Hayes just having more experience and sort of knowing, at least when looking at last season towards the end of it, what he can be. Um, I guess it does make sense, but I guess I probably trust more Jaden Ivey to knock down, and this is too basic, but a spot up three to dot the arc like behind Cade Cunningham more than I mm-hmm. would Killian Hayes at this point. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's totally fair, and like I, I think that's like that's probably going to be the case right away, but. That's not factoring in improvement. I still think it's possible with Killian Hayes. Uh, yeah. And he's just been a very underrated defender, like for his career so far, which Definitely. I think helps a ton as well. Yeah. He's a big part of their switching scheme. He's really willing to take on and defend larger guys. Um, there was, there was one play where like he, he got called for the foul, but he like almost cleanly bo- blocked Embiid like on a switch. It was just like, that was a big time, like, whoa moment. 
And so you you get those occasional like whoa moments from Killian. They're just interspersed in between a lot of really ugly misses <laughs> from from the mid range. Uh, I will also say, I know he's listed at 6'5". I just double-checked that as you were talking, but he plays like he might be 6'7". Like, most NBA players, I feel like their height might be inflated, but I'm like, I'd like to get another measurement on him. I feel like he might be 6'6", or maybe a little bit bigger than that, just based off how he plays defensively, anyway. Uh, I've caught a lot of shit for everything I've said about Marvin Bagley this offseason, which is, I guess it's hypocritical because I I talked about, and I did, I think, a, I wrote about a little bit, how good he was offensively once he went to the Pistons. And I'm like, well, why did they give him 37 million guarantee with a player option? And this is also coming from someone who has been like, we need to look at these deals in the context of new cap climate. I think it's an innocuous contract. I guess I just don't see the vision for Marvin Bagley with this team long-term. Do you care to enlighten me at all on just like Marvin Bagley's fit and how he's going to be used in the larger context of a front court rotation. I did not see the comment about how Marvin Bagley is going to be one of their stretch bigs. Uh, I will say that makes me probably more alarmed than I was when we started this podcast, if that's how they plan on using him. But I'm just curious to see where you land on that. I am also alarmed about what the Pistons saw in Marvin Bagley. My, my big hope is that like, okay, what, what you saw from Marvin Bagley's explosion offensively, like after the trade was the fact that the Pistons like literally did not have a player on the roster who could jump in the air like Marvin Bagley could, right? Like that, that was kind of beneficial for the other guards on the roster to have a lob threat. Um, and so like, yes, Bagley was extremely useful. I think he shot like 60% from two um, in his time as a piston, which is like, again, like really efficient. He was really good around the rim. It's like when, when he did the stuff he was good at, he was great. It's just like what he's good at is not particularly valuable. And it's also like easily replicable, right? My my big hope is that like Jalen Duran makes Bagley entirely duplicative in like a year and a half. But in the way that I envision like Isaiah Stewart is like a perfect 16 game backup center, a perfect playoff backup center. I imagine Bagley is like a really great 82 game backup center. Just come in, get these lobs, get these easy buckets off the bench, give Kate a lob threat, give Killian a lob threat trail Jaden Ivey in transition and just like play off of him. And like, who cares about defense? Like, it's just the bench lineup for a bad team. Like who cares? But like, by the time you want to be good, by the time you want to start like making noise in the play in or the playoffs, Bagley is expressly the type of player who gets played off the floor very quickly in a playoff setting. And so I was disappointed that we didn't see like a partial guarantee or a team option like on that final year i think like with the cap climate uh with the the upcoming expected you know cap spike that they'll smooth out over a couple years i do think that like 12 and a half million is not going to be completely untradeable especially if he continues to just like average 15 points a game off the bench like somebody will be like oh yeah like we could totally use that but at the same time like to just like have a guy that you know can't play when the games are at a high level, like when when you start to play on playoff settings, is like that was just pretty frustrating for me. It's just like, well, but they need the skill set until they get to that level. So I get it. But yeah, I'm I am not super high on what Marvin Bagley uh, is going to bring to this team in the long term. But for now, he's fine. He's fine. As a floor runner next to Ivy, and then like as someone who. I think a lot of the aesthetics of like his turnaround and his hook shot, like 
are better than obviously the efficiency on those. And then just as a alley-oop finisher, like I think all that stuff can be valuable, like in those units with Ivy too, like second unit heavy um, combinations. But I'm probably, maybe I'm latching on to what you said about the floor spacing too much. He shot under 24% on jump shots with Detroit last season. Like I've yet to see the evidence aside from that very small subset of his rookie season where he shot the lights out on catch and shoot twos, by the way, it wasn't even like three pointers. It was catch and shoot twos. Um, so I have something else to follow with the Pistons because I'm, I'm just, I, again, I think he's, I'm with you. I think he's fine. I'm just, I guess I'm more curious about what this team envisions for him because he should not have the, I don't even want to say the type of freedom, but like, I just feel like they shouldn't need him or want to need him as much as they were using him towards the end of last year. No, that's totally fair. And it was so striking too. Like we were like watching film of him in Sacramento, right? A lot of the time he's just like parked in the corner. And it's just like, okay, like if you if he gets the ball in the corner, what is he gonna do with it? It's like he's gonna dribble inside a left hand post up and and try and finish from the, ba- the basket, or he's gonna take a corner three, which is like not a good shot. And and freeing him from that role and making him a more effective player, only to a year later be like, oh yeah, we want to play you next to Jalen Duran. Oh yeah, we want to play you next to Isaiah Stewart. Oh yeah, we want to play you next to Nerlens Noel. So go stand in the corner again. Like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but it's it's just like that that apparently is what's gonna happen. Like uh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um <laughs> uh, I'm going to spare the listeners the long preamble to this question that I gave you, but I will preface by saying Sadiq Bay is my favorite drug on the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> but what is who is Sadiq Bay? I just I feel also like there's and the, the only preamble I actually give, I does feel like there's a discrepancy between what he actually is and what he's viewed nationally because when people call him like this three and D guy, I'm like, well, if you kind of like take away the defense a little bit and then also recognize that he does way more than just shoot threes on offense. And so, yeah, he doesn't really fit that bill at all. So who the hell is Sadiq Bay? Sadiq Bay is like a little overstretched currently, a, a little overrated currently. He's streakier than you think, right? Like I, I was looking at this um, and there was, I think for like a six week period at the beginning of the season, he couldn't throw the ball in the ocean. And so like, this maybe isn't fair to him, but last year he had 25 games. That's a lot of games with one or fewer made threes, right? For, for a guy who a lot of his value comes from his ability to be a floor spacing threat to have, you know, a quarter of the season essentially where you only made one or fewer threes a night. Like that's not great. On the other hand, he had 10 games where he made five or more threes. Like that's a lot. That's a lot. And that includes the, and that, that includes the the 51 point night where he made 10 threes, right? Like he was just running off screens, just like dribbling to people's faces, like busting poor Franz Walker's ass like the entire night. But like and and so like you you would like to see more consistency from deep from Sadiq before you got really into like the nitty-gritty of like what you can expect him to be as a player. Um the other thing I'll say is that, like, he's a dog. That dude works his butt off. He spent, like, the entire summer in Colorado at Elevation, like, working out to better prepare himself for the rigors of an NBA season. He had uh, one of my favorite moments of last season where he made, like, a huge three to uh, send to help send the game to overtime against Charlotte, a team that, like, strangely had the Pistons number. We, like, hadn't beaten them in four years, and it was, like, the weirdest streak in team history. Um, and he was like shit talking one dude in the crowd specifically. It was great. I, I think about that shot all the time. Um, yeah, he just he would benefit from like a slightly reduced offensive role. And so like you think the 
development of Jalen Duran slash Jaden Ivey into uh, the secondary guy behind Cade can make that more of a reality. Um, like in your in your write up in your spiel that you like didn't deliver, uh, you put you said a uh, possession by possession agency, and I really liked that. Right, like you know sometimes he is gonna be really effective and have a lot of agency for this team, and sometimes he's just gonna be like, hey, Sadiq, go sit in the corner and like be a huge threat for this K pick and roll that's happening on the other side of the floor. And like that's fine, that's fine. It's like my my dream lineup for the Pistons in the future is Cade. Jalen Duran and three clones of Mikhail Bridges. I was hoping you would say this on the podcast. I saw that in your write-up, and that was fantastic. <laughs> it was like, so you would love Sadiq to be like a little bit better defensively, like Bridges is, and a little bit better uh, from catch and shoot, a little bit more reliable from catch and shoot, like Bridges is. But like the things he can bring that Mikhail kind of doesn't—that ability to self-create, that ability to to get to the paint, to get to the rim, to use his strength, um, to like create space to take like these these mid-range jumpers that are like very chris middleton-esque uh like you you also want to give him the license to do that just because he's like maybe he can right and if he can like that's that's an amazing addition to have um and he works so hard that i don't want to bet against the possibility of him doing that right it's like i I don't want to bet against sneak in any possible way again like he he's he's just a dog like I, Mm -hmm. i hate betting against him so to call him like overstretched and overrated like makes me feel bad, but it is kind of true about the perception around what he offers right now. Is there there's like a mental tug of war here for me where is it it's probably gonna be harder for them to plumb the depths of his offense now with Ivy and Killian Hayes and Cade Cunningham, right? But then could there also be a benefit to I don't want to use the word pigeonholing, but maybe restricting parts of his offensive game. And so like are is there like does it help or I don't want to say hurt. Does it help or complicate his development at all now that you have Ivy Hayes and Cade Cunningham on, on this team? I think I think it helps. Okay. Um, I think it's something that it's like, okay, it's like he tries it early in the game. It's like it doesn't work. It's like, okay, we like we can go to other stuff. He tries it early in the game, it works. It's like, okay, we can go to this. As opposed to like last season, where it's like, okay, uh it's like we have to keep trying this because there's nobody else on the floor who can like really get their own and we want to see what we got. And so, yeah, I, I think it helps him more than it hurts him. The other thing is um, like, we haven't talked about Boyan in a while, but I assume like that will be your starting like three, four Sadiq Bay and Boyan. And that's a like really interesting crafty old man, stretch the floor uh, herky jerky game that I think Sadiq could learn from him. And I think that's a, so like that, I also appreciate like the the development uh, potential that Sadiq like gets from being able to watch Boyan attack the rim and like get the shots he gets in in the way that he does. Like if this were two K, you're like okay, like Boyan like mentor Sadiq like get some of his badges and like we can we can go from there. It's at this point where you could tell I have too many questions about the Pistons because I have to figure out a way to lump certain players together, uh, and I'll even lump Hamadou Diallo into here. He's like someone that I just like. Oh, this this guy's still on this team, uh, but looking at Hamadou Diallo. Alec Burks, Nolan Noel, and Corey Joseph. Who is most important to this team this season? Who do you expect to make the bi- the biggest impact among those those guys? I hope it's Alec Burks as another like floor spacer, like pressure valve for the young guards, guy who can like get his own bucket. It's like I, I hope Burks plays a large role for this team. His injury, or like the recovery from his injury, like coming into training camp, was a little disappointing for me. Uh, I was expect I was expecting him to start. 
out of the gate, partially because like he offers floor spacing next to Cade and partially because they probably didn't want to overtax Jaden Ivey like coming out of the gate. But uh, Dwayne Casey has just like this huge soft spot in his heart for Corey Joseph. And so like Corey Joseph's going to play like 450 minutes this season. And I'm not going to know how any of it happened, but uh, he was so weirdly effective for them last season. He was uh, at times, he was the best floor spacer they could play next to Cade. Um, that is like, you, 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 it's like, it's not terrible if he's on the floor, but like, man, you're just like, I wish Killian Hayes was playing instead. Or like, man, I wish Jaden Ivey was on the floor instead or something like that. Nerlens is, Nerlens is interesting between the foot injury and how much they love Jalen Duran. I don't think we see much Nerlens this year, unless somebody else, another big gets hurt. Uh, I joke that like Nerlens' main goal is to just like be like Jalen Duran's looper. It's just like dragging him around, be like, I was like you once. Don't be <laughs> like me. It's like, do you see what happened? It's like, don't fire your agent right before restricted free agency. It's like, don't do that. Um, oof. Uh, my other question on this rotation too is I campaigned for Isaiah Livers to start before the Boyan Bogdanovich trade. Where does he fit into this? Like on nights where Casey isn't emptying the bench, let's say, do you expect him to play? I God, I hope so. I hope so. He was so good last year as just a guy who like came in and papered over the cracks. As a Spartan, it pained me how useful Livers was like as soon as he was healthy enough to play. Um, he made threes. He communicated. He communicates really well on defense, which is like a, a credit to the Michigan coaching staff. It seems like all their guys like communicate really well on defense. And uh, like he just made some more threes after that. And it's like every team could use a guy like Isaiah Livers. And so I do hope that they find a way to carve out spots for him to play. Like we talked so much about the potential of like two big lineups uh, for this team. It was like now that you have Boyan and now that you have Livers, you can just play those guys at the four. And like I don't have to worry about that as much. Hopefully, maybe. <laughs> uh, and then we've talked about so many players on this team and the Pistons did make uh, a trade for Badanovich, which is you wouldn't call it win now, but it was a trade for someone who helps them immediately. Should they still be viewed as like, just because they're going to be a team that is, I would guess is not in the mix. If that maybe they stumble into the mix for a playing spot, but if they're not, they have veterans in Noel, in Burks, in Bogdanovich who will be sought after the deadline. Do we still view this team as like, playing catering to the big picture such that they will still be sellers or willing to make moves where they're divesting talent in the middle of the season. I think they sell, but I don't know if they're sellers selling like being sellers implies a level of like bottoming out after the trade deadline that I think goes against like what we talked about at the very beginning of the show, like getting complimentary vets to help facilitate the development of the young guys. So like maybe they sell like one of a Boyan or a Burks or a Nerlens, but like all three of those guys, like I, I would say like two of them probably like make it all the way through the year. Um, it's, it's really important to have guys like Burks and Boyan like on the floor to see if Caden Ivy and Killian are making the developmental strides you want to see them make throughout the entirety of the season. If you trade away those guys, you, you know, and there's not as much spacing, it's harder to tell if they're developing the way you want them to. What does the 10 man rotation top 10 man rotation look like for this team? And when I went through it and did it, I would feel confident in naming. They have X amount of locks to be within the 10. But when I was trying to fill out the starting lineup, I was like, I'd feel comfortable guaranteeing you that Cade Cunningham starts. And then I'm done. So I think 
I think Cade starts. I think you go to start the year. I think you go Cade, Ivy, B, uh, Sadiq, Boyan, Stewart, right? So that one big, two wings, uh, Sadiq Bay and Boyan, and like Jaden Ivy starting the season. And then after that, it's like Killian, Alec Burks, uh, maybe Hami, maybe not Hami, uh, uh, Bagley, and like Livers, right? I think that is like generally what your 10 man rotation is going to be. And so that's that's one big lineups, right? That's and you notice I did not mention Jalen Duran at all because I don't expect we'll see him again until like December, January. Um, and so those those are both one big lineups um, and a lot of guards on the floor at the same time, which is what I think Dwayne Casey like wants to do. Uh, but like who starts is going to change as the season goes along, simply because like they'll want to give more leash to the young guys that prove themselves, and you'll get like you know maybe a Boyan trade or like maybe uh Alec Burks like you know isn't ready to start the season and stuff like that and so like maybe Kojo enters the the bench lineups in a way that he can like help facilitate Killian's development and so like there's no like guaranteed locked in top 10 which is probably why you had such a hard time figuring out what the guaranteed locked in top 10 was going to be uh yeah I would say so so you're the coach you're doing Casey crunch time this can be matchup dependent, I think, especially for this team. But what would be your go-to clutch unit? There's four guys I feel have to be in that unit, and that's Cade, Sadiq, Boyan, and Isaiah Stewart. Whichever guard you feel like has it going that night, slash, like whatever guard you feel like gives you the the best of what you need for that particular like game scenario. Whether that's like Killian for defense, whether that's like Jaden Ivey for the ability to like get to the rim and cause some havoc, whether it's Burks for like shooting, is like that's that's the like triumvirate around like what you put in that crunch time lineup. But like yeah, Cade, Sadiq, Boyan, Isaiah Stewart, like that's your crunch, that's the core of your crunch time lineup. What is is there a weirdo, bonkers, quirky lineup that you want Dwayne Casey to try this season? I think. Like Duran Stewart is like sufficiently unconventional for our purposes. I know you like to go small, so like I would be curious to see like a Killian Ivy Cade lineup like all on the court at the same time. I think that like having that many guards on the floor is definitely something Dwayne Casey would do. And then from a perspective of like what would make Pistons fans the most angry, it'd be like Kojo Burks, Rodney Magruder, Boyan, and Noel. Just like all the vets, the expendables all the guys like no one paid to gum see like all those guys on the floor at the same time. That would be hilarious. Dwayne Casey would totally do that, by the way. Uh, mine is, as you've predicted, unhinged. Uh, I want to see Cade, Hayes, Bay, Boyan, and Livers. That's how small I'm going to want to skew. If you want, if you need to pull Killian for Isaiah Stewart's so that you can have like a big on the floor. Fine. Uh, I just want to see them. Uh, those are the lineups. I mean, you know, at this point, having come out so often, like those are the lineups I skew towards. And so I will root, uh, for Dwayne Casey to win another Coach of the Year award if he rolls out that lineup at any point this season. The Sadiq Bayad center lineup. I got to say, I didn't see that coming. Uh, I'm just getting smaller and smaller as as time marches on. Uh, their current win total at this point is set at 29.5. Would you hit the over or the under on that? And where do you see them sort of winding up in the larger context of the East? Vegas is so good at this because like I've been telling people 29 wins. And so to have it like right at 29 and a half is just like, oh. So I would I would go under. I think the under is safer. That accounts for injuries. That accounts for you know uneven development. That accounts for uh, you know uh, just weird stuff that happens across the course of a regular season. And you know the 
the East is really loaded. The East is weirdly loaded. Like to make the play-in, it's like there's a lot of optimism around in the fan base around like the ability to make the play-in. But like in order to do that, you'd have to be better than like all ten teams that made it last year. New York, who is like who just yeah. added Jalen Brunson, who's yeah. like you know got uh, the Donovan Mitchell package, if not Donovan Mitchell, to get the next like disgruntled superstar. Um, you got to be better than Washington, who's like Kristaps apparently like looked really good in Eurobasket. Bradley Bill still there and like very competent. Um, they're and you got to be better than Charlotte, who I expect to win fewer games. But Steve Clifford is like a coach that will not let them lose a bunch of games they're supposed to lose. And then on top of that, like from below, you have Orlando, who is frightening, and they their core is just as good as yours is. They got they have Paolo, they have suddenly legitimately frightening Franz Wagner. And you know they have they have Jalen Suggs, they have Cole Anthony. It's like the only team I can guarantee you the Pistons are going to be better than in the East is Indiana, and that's only because Indiana decided, like literally, came out and said, like Jalen Smith has a starting job for us, which is the <laughs> functional equivalent of like a seven foot like white flag in the air on the season, right? Like you, if they you don't could... trade Miles Turner, by the way, we riot that he needs to. He has like been, I guess, him, and I don't know who the other but like players that have been talked about being traded without actually being traded i'm trying to just remember like what player has gone longer it's year eight for miles turner and year nine somehow the trade rumors explain that i know right so it's like the pistons could win 29 games and be like in the exact same place in the standings functionally like it it would it would be weird the nba needs to expand there's too much talent yeah expansion there's the biggest support for it is the east this year and you outlined it perfectly uh i would say I wouldn't even guarantee they'd be better than the Pacers just because I love Tyrese Halliburton and there's probably a world in which the Pacers just don't trade Miles Turner. And if they play him, they might be, they might stumble into more wins than we think. Uh, but yeah, I'd probably go, you're the first, this is the, I think this is number eight or number nine on our team look aheads. You are the first person to hit the under on the team that I brought them on for. Um, but to be fair, this is only the second team that I've also hit the under for. So I'm way too, I'm going to have to redo my, I'm way too optimistic on everyone. I have, I have training camp brain. First day of training camp brain right now. I'm with you though on, on the under and the East is just, I it's fascinating. Like, cause it's so deep and I'm curious to see like, can the Pistons sort of shock us? But as I said before, you outlined it perfectly with the teams that they need to be better than even the ones that you don't trust, which the Knicks, the Hornets, the Wizards, and yes, the, the Nets who are, they're doomed. The Nets are doomed. I want to make that clear. But those are still teams where it's like, can you be better than like three of them? I, I don't. I would probably bet against no. Um, is there anything I did not ask you about with the Pistons that you think isn't talked about enough or needs to be discussed before I, I let you go? We didn't mention Hami at all. And like Hami was weirdly chaotically important for this team for stretches last season. And like I, I didn't fit him into the rotation. Like I don't know why he plays but i also know why he like couldn't play aside from the fact he's like never shot the ball well and it's like that's kind of a problem um but like the the absolute like last thing i want to say is like Cade's the guy like Cade is really effing good Cade is like so good i only like sometimes think about what this team would look like with like future 10-time all defensive team member evan mobley right Cade's so good i'm mad we're not on national tv even though we would more than likely embarrass ourselves in front of Doris Burke and everybody. Kate is so good. I don't care. His post-rookie extension is going to be $200 million. I don't care. Everything for this team has to be f- around Cade for the next like half decade. I would hate to do it, but like 
if you get to the middle of his post rookie extension and you're not where you need to be, you got to blow it up again and like figure it out because he's the only way you're making it to a conference finals slash championship level, uh, like in Detroit for the next, like, I don't know how long. So like Cade's the guy, everything has to flow through Cade. Everything has to be about like what makes Cade better. Everything has to be about like, how can we help Cade be the best player he can be? How do we get Cade to be this like top eight, top seven NBA player that you're going to need if you want to compete for championships? Cade's the truth. Cade's the fucking truth. I would, the fucking truth is the perfect way to put it. And I would, as someone who is like 10 million feet away from the Pistons, Cade Cunningham is so good that as good as Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes were last season, there's no question in my mind that Cade Cunningham is going to end up being the best player of those three. That's just how good um, Cade Cunningham is. I Just his control over the game, even when things aren't necessarily working, that is, you can't dream that shit up in a lab sometimes. And so I'm with you on everything you said. Like, this is, no, I don't think they need to go out and trade for a star right now because Cade Cunningham is so good. But I think everything needs to revolve around him even if you're not going the full Luka Doncic prime James Harden Trey Young before DeJounte route of so heliocentric as the term is but everything that you do needs to be in the image of how do we optimize Cade Cunningham because he is that much of the fucking truth as you said absolutely Laz this was great as always thank you like usual for giving me so much of your time in case anyone skipped the introduction in this 70 plus minute podcast are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you and all the fantastic work that you do no, absolutely. Thank you again for having me, Dan. I love talking to you. I love that you uh, ask such fun questions about my team coming into the season. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at LazChance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. You can also download the Detroit Bad Boys podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast on. You can probably find it there as well. And you should go to DetroitBadBoys.com, which is the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season and every season. Uh, echo everything he said there. Detroit bad boys is great. Anytime I need to like something happens with the Pistons and I want to get like the in-depth perspective, that's the place that I go. And the podcast when Laz is hosting it, just amazing as well. Also, if he's ever solo, one of the best solo, probably the, I'm going to say it, probably the single best solo podcaster I've ever listened to. And I guess there aren't a ton of solo podcasters, but you do, you did a great job when you were running solo for so long. So Thank you again for coming on. And as you know by now, I'll be pestering you again in the future and also for an emergency podcast when the uh, Jaden Ivey for RJ Barrett swap goes down later this year. Looking forward to it, Dan. Looking forward to it.